Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. When you think about your business, how can you open your mind and drop into the moment to explore new possibilities? One way today's guest does that is through analogous thinking. For example, having difficult conversations while talking about movies and TV shows. Mary Williams is the founder of Sensible Woo and the School of Moxie podcast. She is a librarian, systems coach, and podcaster who loves to help people think differently. In this conversation, we talk about her love for talk shows, podcasts, movies, and TV, and how that love connects to her work. We also dive into the topics of reframing courage, the struggle we face as a society when it comes to attentional demands and classifying information, how to have better business conversations that aren't boring, and how she has connected a metaphysical approach through tarot readings to business systems and processing intuitive feelings. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 732. Well, Mary, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I've wanted to interview you since I've met you, and here we are. I am so excited. We've been doing all this work that nobody else can see but us. (laughs) (laughs) It's time we got on the mic. (laughs) Absolutely, it is. And I have to say that your approach to conversations and interviewing is such a breath of fresh air because you make it so conversational and yet there is a direction and a trajectory and a point to the conversation. It's just so insightful for me as someone on the outside looking in. Thank you. It's funny because people have been asking me for years to make a podcast and I was like, well, I know I'm in the business space, so it'll have that business focus. And, and I was like, and I love conversation. So it's got to be a conversation. But mm-hmm. then I didn't want it to be like all the other conversations that are out there. And I was like, I don't have a honking huge audience right now. And I'm not Oprah. So people right. aren't going to show up just for the sake of showing up. I was like, it's, there's got to be something compelling in it. And then when I realized it was the whole TV show movie analogy thing and we were going to make a podcast out of it, I just knew that it had to be scripted. It had to be batched. And Mm -hmm. the conversations should feel like a conversation. Like I've been on so many other people's podcasts and I listen to a ton of them. I consume a lot of content. And it's just, it's like a tennis volley back and forth. It's like question, Mm -hmm. answer question answer (laughs) and and when i've been on other people's podcasts like it has been frustrating sometimes for me because i love talking so much with other people (laughs) it's been frustrating because they'll ask a question and then they like won't engage and i'm like okay i'm like i could have just recorded like asynchronously with you if we were going to do that you know it doesn't make sense to me i've had a couple well okay so this is funny this came up this past week you're gonna love this so this is all like the mindset moments that we go through and oh i love it yeah right dish dish it dish it it. um i'm gonna give you a serving size platter here i think we're always our harshest critics and Mm -hmm. i know i am my harshest critic and raising my hand here right (laughs) 
And it's nobody's harder on themselves, I think, than a creator who has had a vision and then they put the thing out into the world, which is a very vulnerable thing to do, period. Mm -hmm. And then on a podcast, you hear yourself back or if you're a YouTuber, you see the stuff back. And there's always things where you're like, I wish I had done that differently or I wish that turned out differently. And you just have to like take that moment take the personal note and be like, okay, next time I'm going to improve on whatever the thing is. And then you do it again in the future and then you iterate and you iterate and you iterate. And I listened back to my notes like, wow, I say like, and you know, like a lot. (laughs) 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 And I've had a couple of comments from people who don't get in the ring ever, which always Mm -hmm. makes me carry like not just a grain of salt, but like a bag of it. And some of them have been like, oh, it's so refreshing to hear natural conversation on a microphone because this is how people actually sound in real life. Right. And then I've had a couple who were like, oh, I think everyone needs to work on their, you know, their diction or whatever. And I'm like, it's not fucking CNN people. (laughs) Right. It's not 60 minutes. No, I mean, I love 60 minutes, but like, that's not (laughs) what we're doing, you know? And you know, and I hadn't thought about it until you and I were recording our in-person sessions in Vancouver here. And um, you're like, wow, you really adjusted to, you know, your people as you were talking to them. Yeah. And I just thought like, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do as hosts? You know, like maybe because I grew up on all the talk shows of the day, you mm-hmm. know, oh, is the dog barking in the background. It's okay. It's okay. It, that, it just, <laughs> it creates the ambiance for the show. <laughs> It's like, that's just, that's the extension of the conversation is all of the things that happen around us. It really is. I record so many things from home here. And um, the one thing I don't have is a soundproof room because I've got windows in here. (laughs) But I can't tell you how many times I'll be doing, I know you want to ask me about tarot and I'll be doing readings and recording things that go out every week and I'll make a point and then like the fire truck will go down the street. I'm like, well, there you go. Yeah, it's like the universe is like, I'll add an exclamation mark to that <laughs> statement. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I just, I love conversation and I love that you wanted to have a conversation about conversation because I think some of us who are of a certain age and we grew up with the whole Oprah Winfrey show, Phil Donahue mm-hmm. era, like we Sally, grew Jesse, up- Raphael. Yes. Ricky Lake. <laughs> Jerry Springer. <laughs> Oh, I love Jerry Springer. <laughs> but we, Maury Povich, like we grew up with uh-huh. all these shows, Geraldo Rivera. God, there oh, were yeah. so many talk shows back in the day. And then they now kind they're of just changed. podcasts. They really are. But yeah, they yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> but like the TV ones have changed. They're sort of more just like entertainment style. I think mm-hmm. Rosie O'Donnell really changed it when she came in because she modeled hers after Johnny Carson. And then Ellen copied her. And now, everyone kind of looks the same. What a great point though, to like bring into what we do is like, it can be easy to copy what's successful. What's what other people are doing, piggybacking off what other people are doing and to find what makes you unique and trying different things. I think that's part of the challenge. I think so too. I think that it has to feel good to you. And I think that when we hear people say like, oh, creating, like it's so hard. I'm like, well, then you're doing something that doesn't feel right to you. Mm -hmm. What do you really want to do? And I think that takes courage. Um, There've been plenty of people who've been like, your brain is so weird, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard it the whole time in my business. At first it was metaphysical things and technology don't go together. And now it's like everywhere. 
Um, Mm -hmm. I see tons of people doing intuitive coaching and they combine business strategy and everything. And then with the podcast, you know, I knew the first season was going to be a lot of proof of concept, which I think we have successfully done. And I invited very specific people just within my inner networks and a little bit beyond in a couple of instances. And now that people have heard it, they're like, oh my God, I never would have thought that so totally works. And, you know, and, and I know I'm tapping into a collective thing because I'm seeing people and we don't know each other and they're talking about TV and movies too, in relation to business. So I'm no, I know I'm not the only one who's seen this concept and had a, like a vision around it, but I do think that there's going to be more of it moving forward mm-hmm. because the way we used to talk about things, people are bored yeah. and it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> You just brought up the word courage. And whenever you pursue something new, like a podcast or showing up on YouTube as yourself or doing tarot readings for business, like there's that point of courage. What, What does that point of courage look like for you? I think the point of courage is staying true to the internal voice and vision that I have. And acknowledging what I see and feel and hear around me, like all the doubters and sometimes haters. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm going to do it anyways. (laughs) And not only that, but I'm going to do it really, really well. I think that when you have any nervousness around your own courage, I think that is the sign to double down on things like craftsmanship. And that was a big reason why I decided I had very strict parameters on this season where I was like, I need a sound engineer present. I need professional equipment. I have a long-term vision for it. So season one needs to sound as good as season 10. And there will be all kinds of mistakes and things along the way, but there are just certain things that can be controlled for in the environment. And gosh darn it all, but we're going to do it as much as we can. And, you know, and, and I knew that I would need professional editing help because as technical as I am, A, I don't really have the time to dig into it. And B, also like, you're just way better at it than I am anyway. So like, why wouldn't I do that? You know, it just seems so silly to think that, you know, that's the one thing all bootstrap. But there are certain things that I think need a special attention. And I think when you give it those, that kind of attention, it, does do a boost for your courage, but it also like kind of plants your flag in the sand a little more clearly to other people. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I'm not wavering from this. Like, right. And it makes them sit up and listen too. There were a lot of people who tuned in the season because they realized, Oh wait, you did something other people aren't willing to do. Like you paid for studio time and you went and traveled and you put these people Mm -hmm. in the studio and that alone got attention. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think there's something to be said for, Go big or go home. Yeah. I love reframing courage in what you're committing to, that that point of commitment, because I hadn't really thought of it that way. Usually we think of it as something to overcome as opposed to something to step into. Yeah, you're right. We do. It's like that thing you try to get over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, but it's a tool in our toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You strike me as someone who is so curious about everything. Yes. <laughs> what would you say you're endlessly curious about? Um, 
everything? <laughs> Is that an acceptable answer? That was my 60 minutes hook to pull out exactly what I wanted from you. <laughs> I am. I'm curious about everything. I think I've always been this way. Um, I remember as a kid, like constantly be, having to be reined in because I'm just hmm. always looking stuff up. I mean, well, I, so I have a master's degree in information science. I'm a librarian and I think it was the perfect graduate degree to get because librarians are professional researchers and you mm -hmm. learn to get comfortable digesting vast amounts of information and, 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 you know, honing honestly, like really excellent research skills. And I think that mm -hmm. has paid off greatly in my adult life in my professional life and my personal life. But I think I'm always looking stuff up. I'm always digesting information. I hear from a lot of people about their feelings on information overload, which is completely valid because there is so much that is flying around out there right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm always consuming like a lot of stuff <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I like hearing other people's viewpoints and I'm, I, I should have been on the debate team in, in high school and I wasn't, but I'm always <laughs> looking at like all the different viewpoints, all the different voices. I know there's a lot of people who will tune out certain opinions or whatnot. Cause they just like, can't tolerate it. And even if I vehemently disagree with it, I will tolerate yeah. it for a moment to hear. But what is the source material? What is the authoritative source? The quote came from somebody. Who did it come yeah. from? How did it come out? What was the context? Like what happened? And I really like seeing that. And I think honestly, it contributes to a lot of creativity because when you do that, you can see a lot of dots connect around you. And mm -hmm. you know, you realize that the world is pretty stinking complicated and it's just the way it is and you get comfortable with it. And then other things just don't seem so overwhelming after a while. Hmm. Was that a byproduct of your education and training as a librarian? Or was that something that you've always been able to do? Hear multiple viewpoints, tolerate certain things just for the briefest of moments in order to understand? Yeah, I. so it's funny. I've actually been processing this a lot in like recent years as an adult and I think I've always ridden the line in between different things because mm. I'm half Asian. So I grew up in Michigan. So I'm this like half Taiwanese, half white girl growing up in very, at the time, white Midwestern Michigan. And, yeah. um, and it was a college town, but still like my sister and I were very other. We were literally other. That was the age of you check mm. the box on your, your, you know, your oh. multiple choice state exam oh. and it's like what what oh. race are you other <laughs> oh. and 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 we traveled a lot as a child as a like as a child like we traveled a lot um my mom's family is still in taiwan so like the equivalent of like going home for the holidays was to take these pan pacific flights from detroit <laughs> metro over to taiwan wow. and we logged a lot of airline miles and then my dad is now retired but he was a geography professor so their conferences were always in cool cities and we would go. And so I had the benefit of seeing a lot of things around the world that mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of other people saw at that time. And I just kind of realized after a while, like, it's okay to be more than one thing. And I think our world actually right now is going through this. Like, I think they're yeah. really struggling to understand that everybody's more than one thing. Right. And, you know, and it's, and it's really hard if you latch your identity onto one tiny little box and you realize, wait, 
it's like 10 boxes. Right. <laughs> you're like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? You know, <laughs> And that's a very overwhelming thing, I think, for a lot of people. And I think it's what contributes to people continuing to play small because it's like mentally you can digest a certain amount of things. Like as a librarian who handles information, I know this too. There is only so much you can digest at any particular time. And yes. And in your skills for digesting more and more in terms of concepts or knowledge or thought patterns gets bigger the more you practice it. But if you've never practiced it, like your capacity is really small. Yeah. You just blew my mind there because I flashed back to a couple of years ago when I was teaching an information architecture class at Washington State University. They have a and, really good there. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean it it and it was really about wrapping our mind around the classification of information in our digital age and how it's different than like the Dewey Decimal system. Yes. And how we used to classify information. And yeah. so I, I I love that you said that this is the struggle that we're going through because in a way we are going from that cl old classification to, you know, oh, you mean we can add tags to this data so that we can find multiple paths to it? Yeah. It hurts your head to think about that. It does. I always say like there's, it's both and, and you can have more than one mm. category for everything, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. including ourselves. And, yeah. and, and I just wonder, you know, if people felt they had more freedom. I mean, I was kind of put into it by default, I think. So mm -hmm. if people knew they had more freedom to be more than one thing, like how different things would be. Yeah. <laughs> I think people would really look at things a lot less as there's us and then there's other. It's like, no, we're like all, mm -hmm. all just a giant mixed bag of who knows what. And, and that's exciting. And then it brings in the curiosity piece and you start realizing yeah. that, wait, I don't know. I, I know so little. Maybe if I just shut up for a minute and was curious, maybe I'd like discover more about myself and mm -hmm. what I want to do. And it leads to the authenticity thing, you know. At what point do you get curious about analogous thinking? Because if there's one thing that has really changed my mind and how I look at things. It's coming at a topic from a completely different point of view. I don't, okay. So this is funny because you had posed this question to me before we recorded and I've been like <laughs> mulling on it now for days. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know when I started doing that. <laughs> I don't, I honestly, I don't know when, yeah. but the, like the term analogous thinking only came to me, I think, in the last couple of years. I mean, like, I know what analogies are, but mm -hmm. um, to put that in the context, especially for business, that this is a whole on, like, area of development mm -hmm. that I hadn't considered until a couple of years ago. And it was because somebody pointed out to me, so this whole analogy thing, like, we used The Last of Us, the TV show, for season one for the podcast. And the only reason that that came into being is because during COVID, I was sending weekly newsletters and there was one week I was like, my audience is so, I'm, I'm like trying, you know, I have such a potty mouth. <laughs> like, oh, you can totally be yourself. Totally swear. Okay. Yes. My audience, they were so fucking depressed, man. <laughs> Swearing helps. <laughs> it does. That was my t-shirt. <laughs> and so I saw everybody was so depressed and I was like, okay, 
I come from entertainment. Let me entertain them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know how. Maybe it had been on TV and I had scrolled past the Disney Channel or something, but High School Musical was firmly in my brain. And when I started working for Disney back in the day, um, High School Musical was like the thing. Like the first one had just come out on TV and it, everyone was all about it. And ju- justifiably so. It was really fun. And I came up with this analogy and I stuck all these gifts into the email, like an obscene amount. And <laughs> I was just like, here, now you've seen the movie. <laughs> you've seen the movie and gifts and in a business analogy. And I was like, your business is just like high school. And, and I knew that I served an audience in that like awkward in-between phase. They're mm-hmm. high schoolers. They're about to go to college. Some people are always trying to like skip a couple grades and they're trying to like get somewhere faster. And it's like, you're not ready for college yet. You didn't even finish high school. And so I like, I try to explain like, this is how you can frame up what you're doing in systems when you build them in your business. Mm -hmm. Cause there are people who like lust after these super robust funnels and the, the passive income products. And I'm like, you guys, you know how many years that takes and how much effort and, and investment dollars behind it. And, and, that's not, that's like jumping into graduate level studies and you are still in the fifth grade right now. Right. And like, we really need to think about, can we, can we graduate into middle school first? And then can we go to high school? And, and it started with that. And I had a coach at the time. I work with her now actually, which is awesome. And, and I was so like, I really hesitated to send it. I was like, who, who the fuck is going to take me seriously? (laughs) Sending out a newsletter about high school musical. She's like, please do this. You have to do it. She's like, just send it. Just send it now. And we were on a call and a hit send. And and it got a really good response. And the open rate was really good. And I got some actual like replies and responses. And so the next week, I just thought, I'll write another one. And I can't remember what the second one was now, but I mean, I went through everything from legally blonde to <laughs> Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Perfect. To this day, like the number one reply from dudes, they love legally blonde and it cracks me up. And I started getting these very, very personal replies from people whenever it was like a movie or TV show that clearly like lived in their heart space, that they loved it for some reason. And that told me, this is an area where we feel comfortable in people have their comfort movies and their comfort TV shows. And if that makes you comfortable enough to then open up to a discussion on a more difficult topic in your business, then that from a coaching perspective is a huge win Right. because sometimes you go into a coaching space with someone and like, they're just not ready to talk about difficult things happening in their business. And it's like, but if you talk about it through the lens of something, suddenly they're able to do it because they're like, oh yeah, I love Indiana Jones. You know, I love it when Indy was blah, 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 blah. He's so (laughs) courageous or whatever. And it's like, well, let's talk about that, you know? And, and I think that there's some power in that. I mean, I know not everybody's an entertainment nut and that's fine. So you kind of have to find your thing. But lately I've also found that using the analogies is a really great way to just bring in more humanity and more personality. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, God, these business conversations that go on, they're just so fucking boring, man. Like, I can't, I'm like, I can't listen to another boring <laughs> lecture about this or that. And, and, and you don't really get to know people, especially in the podcasting space. You know, it's very mm-hmm. intimate. You're in someone's ear. Mm-hmm. And when they're done well, it seems so easy. 
but it's not. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> and not. It's really not. And, you know, I, I hear from people and they're like, I want to become a better guest or I want to start one. I want to become a host. And they get themselves on the mic and then they're really critical about themselves. I mean, we're all critical of ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. they're really hard on themselves because they hear themselves back and it just sounds kind of flat. And it's just because it's question, answer, question, answer. And, and it's like, but you aren't really talking and no one's really getting to know you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, I think we did a good job with this season, getting people on the mic and letting them practice, just being human on the mic. And we totally talked about our businesses and you really get to know somebody's values and what it might be like to talk with them regularly if you were to hire them, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get that any other way if it's just right. question, answer, question, answer. I like what you just said too about the coaching model. Cause I've, I, I have a coaching certification. I've taken, I've taken coaching courses <laughs> and it's always that same kind of framework, that same way in. But I love what you said that sometimes people don't know what they need to talk about or even what they think. No. And, and even as a coach, like you can have the best questions in the world to like get people talking, but if you can connect it to something that they're passionate about and that they love, that's, that's a whole different game. It's a whole different game. And I have logged a lot of hours coaching a lot of people now. And the one thing I know, and this also comes from being a librarian sitting at the reference desk, the one thing I know, and from tarot reading, (laughs) all the things, (laughs) people struggle to find the words for the things that they're feeling. Like it's stuck in the feeling space and it's not in the articulated verbalized space. And if you have something else you can talk about that helps to illustrate a point, something that is analogous. It helps you find the words more specifically about the thing you need to deal with. And that's pretty powerful when you think about it. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing too is that whether it's having a conversation about your favorite movie or sitting across from someone (laughs) with tarot cards doing a a reading about your business, you kind of have to have an open mind. You do. I mean, I think that's true of anything. And I think increasingly we're seeing the people who have sort of the one track, like they've got the rehearsed talking points or they've got a really (laughs) close viewpoint. They're starting to kind of fall flat because the tools that are just naturally developing right now, like Threads has been such a great case study of this. Like you can totally show up on the platform and do whatever you want, but the people who are doing really well are clearly being human and... Um, I think the reason why like the webinar model seems to be faltering so much lately is because it, it worked for the time period that it worked for. And then we all got more experienced and we got smarter and then people were like, I don't want to just hear the talking point. Like I need to hear from you. And I think that's why podcasting is taking off so much because the medium naturally lends itself to the old, like the talk show format, which is we're going to have a conversation and like weird stuff's going to come up, you know, Tom Cruise (laughs) is going to jump on a sofa and it's like, who knew that was going to happen? And, and that's like the magic of it. I think people are looking for a little bit of magic, those unexpected moments. Like we want them. And, you know, I love it when people send me um, like a podcast link and they're like, Oh my God, you have to listen to this. Like, all these things happened. You have to, you have to listen and then you have to tell me what you think, you know, or if it's a YouTube video or something, but 
I just, I just think that's so cool. Like it's a way that we connect and Mm -hmm. the world, especially during COVID got really disconnected. And I think too, regardless of what you're doing, it's about creating a space where anything can happen. And I think whether it's a podcast where you're hosting and you're creating that space for, you know, Mary to jump up and down on the her chair in the, in the space. We're we're creating that space in that connection. Yes, and I like we're virtually right now recording, and I love that personally. This is just a totally personal choice. I really love the magic of being in the room with someone. I do too. I don't know, right? Like I think yeah. I think we all kind of feel that, and and I don't know if um, it's just partly a byproduct of being like physically separated from so many people, especially during like lockdowns from COVID. But coming out of that, I was like, I just craved, I was like, I want to be in the studio with people. I need to see the whites of your eyes in (laughs) person. (laughs) And um, like, I need to feel the energy in person. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the conversations have turned out way differently than they would have if we had just done it remotely. Yeah. I think when you're home in your home studio, it, it you're just like still it. It's the same state that you're always in, and by yes. physically going into a studio space, it you know it's it's a pattern interruption. It forces you to show up differently. You are automatically going to say things differently and think differently, and yeah. be forced to like open different synapses in your brain and like, you know, and, and I've seen it, I've been seeing it all, all year now with these recordings. It's been really incredible to watch people come to life on the microphone Mm -hmm. and whether they're seasoned or not, you know, there's, there is a different quality. Yeah. I, I love how you say seasoned or not, because I find that people who are not seasoned, but they have something to say yeah. are so refreshing yeah. along with people who are willing to like put the facade down for a little bit, like, and just show up. Yes. Yes. That's my big thing. I'm like, I want the facades to drop. Yeah. I want people to be themselves. And we have been trained to put up this branded image and, mm-hmm. and it, ma- it matters. I don't want to say that that doesn't matter because it does matter, but like I need, I need to know who you are. That doesn't mean I need total access to you. Like there's, you, you need to reserve some things for yourself. Like I always say there's <laughs> yeah. Oprah on stage and then there's Oprah at home. And, and, but you feel, <laughs> everyone's like, I feel like I know her, even if they don't like her, they're like, I feel like I know her. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. why is that? Part of it is all the years of and hours of experience, but she's dropped enough facade or at least let you into a part of her, not all of her, but a part of her. And and whether you like her or not, it's a really she's a really fascinating case study. So I like using her. And I find that most of our entrepreneurs are just they're struggling so hard with this. And so we're having these conversations around authenticity. I mean, people have like whole online courses about how to be more authentic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, bros, like <laughs> can you <laughs> can we can we please just, I don't know, maybe have a conversation? And everything's just so carefully crafted and curated. And also I think people are afraid of saying the wrong things. 
And I know I am too at times, but it's like, that's when you like have to train yourself and learn to drop into the moment and be fully present. And if the wrong thing comes out of your mouth, you apologize on the spot and you say it, or you apologize once you recognize it. And like, you have a time to process. And I I think sometimes we're afraid of um, just, it's not even cancel culture, but it's just like the backlash of like, oh, I had a moment where I was human and I got, Mm -hmm. you know, ridiculed for it or, you know, whatever happened. And, and, and I just want to start holding more space for like, it is safe to make mistakes and it's safe Mm -hmm. to figure it out and to model that for other people. I just, I, I think that we need more grace on that. And, and I don't think you get it when it's so like the message is so carefully crafted. When I hear podcasts where, you know, somebody has been pitched across a bunch of podcasts and then your feed shows up and it's like the same person with the same launch. <laughs> You're just like, Oh my God. And that's, that's when I immediately now I'm like, you know, remove it from, remove it from up next. Like, I don't want to hear it. And, but they have like talking points, you know, and they've yeah. got their pitch and they've got their, who they serve and how they do it sentence. And that I find is becoming less and less and less effective. And I don't think I'm the only one who's finding it less effective. And yeah. Um, I think there's a reason why like comedy podcasts do so well. And it's because they're one of the few podcast genres where they truly are comfortable getting on and riffing. And I think Mm -hmm. people want to hear it. You know, it's, it's why we love like the tonight show and stuff, even though that's like a little bit scripted too, but at least it's less, you know, manufactured just a little bit. It's interesting because I do get those pitches. Like I get a lot of pitches every week for people to show up. And I find that my job as the host, first and foremost, is to clue in on something that intrigues me about what I'm reading. Mm -hmm. Because if there's something that triggers me, like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Or like, I, I I got one of like a week or two ago that says, described yourself as a butterfly doula. And like, I'm it. like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, what the fuck is a butterfly deal of it? Now I got to know. <laughs> and and all I said in response was, you had me at butterfly doula. Here's the scheduling link. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> but, but, but then my job in the next step is to then, I'm very rarely going to look at her talking points. Mm-hmm. You know where I'm starting at that point. What the yeah. fuck is a butterfly doula? I exactly. won't say it in that way, but it, you know, <laughs> it's just so like, double not dare you to say it. In that way. <laughs> I know it all depends on like who's, <laughs> who's sh- showing up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but but it's but it's that kind of thing of just like I've made those mistakes though, but part of that learning journey is like, whoa, I know I'm getting pitched like a thousand other people right now. Yeah. How can I show up as me in this moment and and be okay with that? Yeah. I I work so much with people who love metaphysical things and the concept of magnetism and mm. manifestation is so huge. And I'm like it's really I'm like it's really about learning to strip away all the extra shit around on top of you, all these layers so that you mm. can just be you. Mhm. And it's sad to me that we have to do all that work to just be ourselves. And, you know, that's, it's, that's a lifetime of work. And it's like, you can do it like 
one interview at a time, I guess. And, <laughs> and slowly you get there. <laughs> there is a recurring theme coming up, though, Mary, in that we have this culture that says, if you do these things, you're going to find instant success. But as you and I know, there's nothing instant about success. It's a long-term approach to living an authentic life. Yeah. And no one wants to hear that. It's so depressing, is it not? <laughs> it is depressing. Like I'm I'm really struggling with that right now because like you put in all this time and effort and you want to see some sort of results, but then I still got another hopefully 30 years of creating in me. I hope you don't know, but like, mm -hmm. but then you're like, okay, in context, then that's still a lot of time, a but lot. then you feel the clock ticking on the other hand. Well, there is, there's something that happens over 40. You do feel that yeah. clock time start ticking. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I just had this conversation with a coachee earlier today. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's coming up while we're recording right now. <laughs> I think we're all feeling it. And, mm -hmm. um, it's this feeling of like, you don't want to die with insignificance as the main mm -hmm. dish in my life. I want to have made an impact. I want to have yeah. done something, you know, that helps. And it's so hard sometimes to have the patience for the incremental changes. But like, I can look back on, you know, how many years have passed and so many other things. And I'm like, wow, I've really come a long way. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. and you know, I, I, I had the same thing this year where I think all of us have these sort of fantasy lotto winning moments, you know, it play out in our head where we're like, and then my podcast dropped and it went viral and it, everything else was history. You know? <laughs> and I, it's, it's not the reality. Mm -mm. And I think that as you learn more, you know, you can maybe have a little bit more patience for yourself. And there's also this commitment piece of like sticking with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that is, I think, hardest for other people to see because you have to really follow somebody for a long time to see it. And, you know, biographies are really great. You can read biographies. This is the librarian in me coming out. You can, you can read biographies yeah. and you can kind of get that retrospective picture on a bunch of people. But I think it's the less big name people who are actually more relatable and more fascinating. But that requires effort because now you've got to actually research them. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things I've been doing, this is since I was, so I started blogging back in 2010. I had a corporate career and I had a side hustle blog and it was the golden age of blogging. So everything was organic reach. It was nice. amazing. Oh, we all missed those so days. Great. It was so great. <laughs> Instagram was but a baby. And like, I mean, Snapchat didn't even exist yet. And, and, <laughs> and Twitter was still sanctimonious and holy. And, yes, um, as well. and those were the days, those were the days. <laughs> and I, I started doing this thing cause the researcher in me, um, just kind of knew to do it. And I looked at bloggers who I respected in my space and, I would go into their blog and scroll all the way to the bottom of the RSS feed. And I would go back to the very, very first post. And if they posted a lot, it took me a while to scroll. <laughs> I'd go all the way back to the beginning and I would start reading their blog from the very beginning just to see mm -hmm. evidence of how they started and how they grew. Mm -hmm. And I started putting two and two together at the time. And I was like, 
this is interesting. I'm like, when they get really serious about developing these skills or posting X number of times a week or whatever, their audiences grow. And that at at about the two-year mark with consistency, no breaks in there, at about the two-year mark is when they leap out of their day job career and they start to make like real money from this thing. And Mm -hmm. I just started reverse engineering it. And at the time I was making kind of like half-time income almost half-time income from blogging, from sponsorships and advertisements. And then that was when Facebook introduced advertisements. (laughs) It (laughs) changed everything. And, you know, and I took a left turn in my career and did all kinds of stuff. And I just retired blogging, but people were already asking me for, you know, for business advice at the time, because they had seen me making money from it. And Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing because there's so many people who know me now and they, they don't know me from then. I have a couple people who are on my email list who've been with me since then. And I, they still open my emails and it's incredible. And it's awesome when I see their emails pop up. But there are very few people now who've seen me from that far long ago. And that blog was not properly archived because past mm. Mary was not very smart and kind of toasted her old site a long time ago. Mm. So you can go on the internet archive and look it up. But like, <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, it's on there. Um, but those skills that were developed back then that came from mm-hmm. hours and hours of wearing my keys thin on my laptop at night and taking photos and sewing clothes and doing it again and again and again and pitching and pitching and pitching for sponsors and advertisers and giveaways. And those skills have carried forward with me now. And it's part of what makes it easier for me to do certain things. And so like mm-hmm. when I see other people, I'm like, man, she just makes it look so easy. How the <laughs> hell is she doing that? And I'm always like, reality check, Mary, like reality check. <laughs> she's done. I can always tell I'm like, she's done something else or he's done something else. Like they have done something that has set them up to have whatever skill set allowed them to produce something in a certain way. And sometimes it is cash. Sometimes it is money. Like they can hire people, but I feel like it's, it's, it's actually pretty easy to spot when somebody doesn't have like honed a skill, but they've paid for some kind of reach or something. Like it's pretty obvious. Um, at least it is to me. They're just not as polished. They're not as natural. And the messaging is usually kind of flat, but the people who do it really, really, really well, like they've been at this a minute. You know, the internet's been around long enough now that some people (laughs) have owned some skills. (laughs) (laughs) You've mentioned tarot several times. You mentioned metaphysical. What got you interested in energy and metaphysical things and bringing that into business? I've been doing it like feels like forever now Um, in grad school. Well, okay. I've always been interested in metaphysical things since middle school, high school. And it just sort of like naturally followed me around. I have a lot of very metaphysical experiences since childhood through some client work. I have access to a medium who has a course. And so I'm like taking her class right now. And and I'm like, oh, that's what's been happening. (laughs) And, And so I've had all these experiences. And then by the time I got into grad school, somewhere along the line, I had acquired a deck of Rider Waite Smith tarot cards, which are super duper standard. I didn't know what to do with them. I thought I had to memorize them. Turns out I didn't. (laughs) And I met one of my, you know, oldest best friends now in, in our very first semester of grad school. 
And she also is a tarot reader. And we were studying in my apartment um, one evening. We had like a group project thing. And she saw my card sitting on the shelf and she was like, Mary, where'd these come from? (laughs) And she's like, you know, what are you doing with those? And I was like, I don't know, (laughs) nothing. (laughs) And then to blow off steam, we would hang out and she would bring her cards over. I would cook dinner. She would bring the beer and we would eat and have dinner and we would play cards. And she had me do a reading for her one evening and she cried and she was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. She's like, you have to keep doing readings. She was like, I don't want you to think that you have to know that she's like, just intuitively tell me, just tell me what you see. And I did. And then word kind of got out from there that Mary was doing tarot readings. (laughs) And then we all graduated from, we were all in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the University of Michigan. We all graduated, scattered to the four corners of the world. I ended up in LA working for Disney and word still was out that Mary does tarot readings. And so (laughs) people would PayPal me and I would read for them on nights and weekends on the phone. If they were in town, I sometimes they would be in my kitchen, you know, sitting at the kitchen table and um, and I just kept doing it. And they would just sort of trickle in whenever. And I didn't know how to charge. So it was like a dollar a minute. That's what they say on TV <laughs> on like the psychic hotline, you know? So it was a dollar a minute and 30 minute reading, $30, you know? <laughs> and, and then I just kept doing it and doing it and started, you know, logging the hours of reading mm-hmm. for people. And then years later, so at this point I had left LA and I had moved to Austin, Texas to run tech for a library out there. And I went to, they had a metaphysical group that would meet regularly. And I went to a workshop. A woman was talking about the Akashic records and I was sitting there and had this huge epiphany. And I realized, oh my gosh, like I have been an Akashic records reader this whole time. I just have been using the tarot as sort of a facilitation tool. And because people, there were tarot readers who'd be like, you read cards funny. I hear that all the time. I'm like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? (laughs) I'm just reading for people like them, you know? And that was when I realized like, oh, I'm an Akashic Records reader. And and I'm also a tarot reader, but I'm I'm really channeling people's Akashic Records. Like I'm having conversations. What what is that? So your Akashic Records are your soul's records. Everybody has them. Everybody has access to them all the time. I don't think people realize how much they channel all day every day. And I love being able to point that out to my clients when they're having readings with me. And it's amazing how much we will channel for each other, even perfect strangers. You know, you know, sometimes like you walk around and you're like at the checkout line at the grocery store and somebody says something to you and you're like, God, that's exactly what I needed to hear right now. And they they don't, they don't even know that they're channeling. Like, I think we do it for each other all the time. And you know, it's just like being conscious and aware of it and recognizing when you're really picking up those notes or hearing the higher guidance or, you know, however you process it. Some people process it as like, they're my angels or, you know, it's whatever. And for whatever reason, (laughs) I'm very open and I'm able to do it for other people. And so I do. And now it's grown into, I'm getting out of sort of the one-on-one readings. I just don't really have the time or capacity and energetically gets draining very quickly. But mm-hmm. I fired up a paid newsletter because I saw other people doing like YouTube readings and stuff and they have paid newsletters. And I thought, well, let me try it. And I have found that's been a really nice sweet spot. So every week I channel and a newsletter goes out. 
and I channel just for business because I feel like it's a space that has a big giant hole in the tarot industry. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, the joke is it's always love or money and, <laughs> and it's true, <laughs> but I find that our business owners, like they had been coming to me over the years, booking tarot readings. And then they'd be like, I, can I ask a question about my business? And I'm like, sure. And then they'd be like, so if I want to integrate this software for my launch, like, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, this doesn't require tarot cards. Like, why are you asking me that? And then I realized like, oh, they want both. Like they want both in the same space. And eventually that grew into the 12 month program that I just retired. But yeah, I, I just, I have found that business owners really want to consult intuitively about their businesses because you have a lot of feelings and intuitive gut reactions all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and they're very valid and um yeah. and you need a place to process them and i know it's not for everybody but there's a lot of people who want it and yeah. um i think there's some stat floating around out there i saw on a hustle newsletter from years ago and he said that the metaphysical industry is like i want to say it was like a three billion dollar industry or something or it was a oh, trillion wow. i don't know it's huge <laughs> I'm not good with numbers, but like <laughs> it's a big number. It was a big honking huge number. And and you know, that's everything from astrology to, you know, tarot to everything. But I think people are craving a way to connect that part of themselves with this very logical part of their business mm-hmm. because you you do already, you know, you you do. So many people like you'll see interviews with big famous names and they'll say, I know that the spreadsheet said whatever, but my gut said to do this. And so I did. And poof, there was Facebook, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. You were totally channeling. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I love about that though, is that connection between us and our business and how that can that can get jammed up. Like I think about the grime in like the line of your garbage disposal that if you don't clean it up, you know, it's going <laughs> to backflow into your sink and create a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gross to clean it out sometimes. But <laughs> what also came up is anyone that ever grew up in a fundamentalist Christian environment oh, immediately yeah. has this image of worshiping Satan and all of this weird <laughs> shit stuff. that is, really comes along with it. And it sounds yeah. like it has nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing to do with that. So I grew up in a rather agnostic household, but because of my mother's family, I would say I probably have more like Taoist Buddhist influence in my life than anything because I grew up just with that a lot and my father's family well his immediate family was sort of non-practicing Catholic but the wider family very Catholic and you know Catholicism has a lot of tradition in it and a lot of ritual and one of my very favorite spiritual teachers Carolyn Mace she was on the Oprah show back in the day (laughs) and she Um, She comes from the Catholic tradition as well, and I love the way she puts so many concepts into perspective, and, you know, you realize that these worldwide traditions are very much united and linked together, Mm -hmm. and how mystical they all have these 
properties of mysticism in them, which I personally find extremely fascinating. (laughs) The librarian in me is like, I'll read all the books of mysticism. (laughs) But, you know, you'll, you'll hear about prophets and saints and they had a vision and this and that. And I mean, even like here in the United States where religion has morphed and changed in all the different regions, you know, I lived in the deep South for quite some time and spiritualism, spiritual churches are a big thing down there. People speak in tongues. They channel, they do miraculous, spontaneous healings. Like, I mean, they're, you can't tell me that that's not (laughs) metaphysical. And I just think that there is a very mystical part of the human experience that we in our modern lives have gotten a little disconnected from. And I don't know that it matters what tradition it is that you choose. I personally don't like being stuck in pretty much any dogma. <laughs> I have friends who are like, you will avoid at all costs being pigeonholed into a category. I'm like, yes, I will. <laughs> but, but you know, there are some people who, you know, are very attached and feel very connected to whatever faith or tradition they come from. And if that's the doorway you go through and it helps you connect better with yourself, like, I think that's fantastic. You know, yeah. what is scary is when people are actually scared of that magic quality and therefore everything else around them becomes something to be feared. And in and I think that's the shadow side of any kind of tradition. I see it in the metaphysical community too. Like this is where conspiracy theories come from, you know, and they're like they're yeah. scared and so they're like, "Oh, I'm trying to be controlled through, you know, this that me 5G. <laughs> oh god, that the other day the emergency I had broadcast laugh. system I, I sat. I was on. I was on a Zoom call with somebody at the time, and when that went off, and we were both like totally startled because it's loud. You know, your phone goes off, and and I was just like, "Am I an X Men? Did it happen? <laughs> Did it happen? <laughs> Do I get powers? Like, what's happening right now?" <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I I like to joke about stuff. I love comedy. I love humor. I think it's the only way that we can really survive right now. <laughs> Did you get powers? No. Oh. <laughs> I got the power of a potty mouth. <laughs> That's a yeah. superpower. It's it's totally a superpower. It's a fun superpower. <laughs> I think it comes back to this recurring theme throughout the conversation, though, of just openness. Yeah. And what bit of advice would you have for someone who is used to being closed off, but wants to open themselves up to new ideas, new feelings, new journeys, and yeah, whatever they are looking for? Oh, that's such a good question, Chris, because I think it's so timely right now. Mm. I, I think it really comes down to a feeling of safety. Mm. And I think there's a number of ways to approach it. There's a very like individual, like internal processing, like you do have to do internal processing. Um, I've been, I started doing somatic therapy about a year ago. What is that? So somatic therapy is, they're like very simple exercises, but it's a process of releasing the stored trauma that's in your physical body, like releasing it. So you're not carrying it with you. You don't realize how much you'll carry it and it will create health problems. Like I was having health, I was having chronic health conditions were starting to happen. And so I, I, I started doing somatics and I find the practice to be 
weirdly enough, actually, I guess rather spiritual, um, because Mm -hmm. it helps me release the tension and the stress and the nerves and all the stuff that is now subconscious. And I'm just carrying it in my muscles and in my joints Mm -hmm. and everything and in my digestive system and like releasing it so that I have more spaciousness in me to pick up on it. Because the intuitive impulses that you get are subtle and they're delicate and they're soft and they never give up on you. I think sometimes people think that they'll, like, if you don't hear it the first time, like, whoop, it's gone, you know? And it's yeah. like, no, if the message is coming, it's going to keep coming to you. Sometimes it will get louder and louder in, in pretty drastic ways, like getting an illness mm-hmm. or, you know, things happen to you personally and our bodies are signaling to us all kinds of information all the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the practice of making peace with being human in that way, I think is so helpful, but somatics, you know, is really a return to feeling safe in the world. You know, Mm -hmm. especially if you've gone through traumatic things, that is a wonderful practice. And I think too, sometimes we need to find people where we can be safe around them, which means that, you know, our groups might change, but this is where I'm, I'm such a champion of the both and experience. And like, you can be with (laughs) like sort of the traditional, like your family or whatever, who might not be like the safe space, but you're not going to like, maybe you don't want to give up on your family. You don't want to cut ties with them. And also (laughs) you can have (laughs) friends who are not them, you know, in this other space. And um, sometimes we do have to make really big changes. You know, I've made huge changes in my life. I've left an abusive relationship. I've left abusive work environments. There's a long recovery process somatically when you've gone through stuff like that. And I think that so many of us have like really strong and increasingly strong intuitive gifts that it's really hard to hear if like your body, the room that you inhabit is so noisy all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you see a lot of metaphysical people who carry a lot of chronic conditions with them. And it's just because, you know, very empathic and they pick up on a lot of stuff and you know you have to find a way to disperse that somehow but yeah it's funny i didn't think somatics would be my answer but i think that (laughs) down to that (laughs) that's the fun part of conversation though is that you never know what your answer is going to be ahead of time as i love that i love being on the mic and hearing people say things and then like you see their faces and they're like oh my god like that's something (laughs) you're like (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mary, as we wrap up our time together, as a librarian who has an endless fascination with books and resources Mm -hmm. and podcasts, what's (laughs) current? Exactly. What's what's blowing your mind right now? Oh my God. So many things are blowing my mind right now. Well, I'm kind of okay. You're you're behind the scenes with me in um all of our our production areas. So I am already like pre-scripting the next season and I got to be in my bonnet, man. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I got to be in my bonnet about dude bro marketing and Is that like Cobro marketing? <laughs> Cobro. Just saying if you get the reference, Cobro? No. Only Murders no. in the Building season 3. <gasps> 
Oh, I haven't finished watching it yet. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll. That was the name of Paul Rudd's uh, series that he was an actor in was called Cobra. Oh, is it? I've only yeah. watched like the very first episode. So, <laughs> okay. okay. It's okay. not no, a spoiler. No. Don't worry. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, now you're making me go like, oh, I need to circle back to Hulu. Um, watch so much TV, man. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> we do too. So, <laughs> which is why I love working with you. I've been rewatching Ted Lasso and that series does blow my mind. Um, mm-hmm. There's really some nuance does. in there that is really incredible, but you know me after doing the, well, the last of us also blows my mind, but um, I, I like to pair a book with the series and I've been really asking, questioning like, what is it for this one? And I think it's this book that um, I'm digging into right now by Elise. I always feel like I say her last name wrong. I think it's Lonan. L-O-E-H-A-N. It's called The Seven Deadly Sins and the Price Women Pay to Be Good. Whoa. (laughs) Speaking of spirituality, and she breaks down the seven deadly sins. And and I personally find it very fascinating because I did not grow up going to church and being fed the seven deadly sins or the book of Genesis or any of those things, right? But you don't realize how much just being in the culture that you grow up in, Mm -hmm. how much that is infused in your conditioning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I grew up studying classical music really seriously. And I was pretty young and I did some pretty big things. And I remember my cello teacher having a conversation with me one weekend on my weekly lesson. And I think I must've been like having a moment or something where I just, I was, I was so used to not fitting in that I was kind of like, okay, whatever, I'm not fitting in again. And he gave me this like, Ted Lasso style lecture where he was like, you know, when people are jealous and they say things and do things, he's like, jealousy is really just envy. Mm. And that lesson always really stuck with me. And the thing that made me pick up the book was I heard her interviewed on someone's podcast talking about her book because it was a book release. And she talked about the quality of envy because it's one of the Mm. seven deadly sins. And She's like, you know, envy is a tool to be used. It tells you what you want. It mm-hmm. tells you what you want that you need to work on getting. And women are told, oh, don't you envy that, you know? And um, don't be too big. Don't be too bright. <laughs> and, and there's so many things. But I think men are also really suffering from this. And, you know, the one of the big things that, that I feel like I've teed up nicely <laughs> through using The Last of Us in season one is setting a stage, opening the doorway so that we can start talking about the death of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. and also toxic femininity. And in our business community, there's been so much toxicity when it comes to the dude bro tactics that just aren't working. But there's also, you know, feminine tactics that also are not working. And, and, And I think that that book um is really unlocking something for me right now i'm really fascinated by it i had to put down the midnight library so i can like start digging into it (laughs) isn't that so good though oh so good and i've been trying to read more novels again too um speaking of somatic practice like one of the things that um was a big clue to me was i couldn't sit down and like focus and read it was really hard for me to do it Mm. and i was like oh i've got 
I've got some therapy to do. (laughs) And, and by releasing like all kinds of trauma states, I've been able to like sit and read again, which has been really good for me as a librarian where I'm like, I love reading. Like I will devour pages. And so that, that book by Elise Lonan has been top of my list at the moment. But then just because I've been like consuming, you know, the television again, so I can actually script things out. <laughs> Listening to Ted Lasso speeches has not been too tough to take. Um, I think it's no. going to be. I think it's going to be a special season. But but there's some really beautiful moments in there, and it, you know they got a lot of flack for the third season. But you know they had been talking since the first season that they had a vision for three seasons. Jason Sudeikis said that on an, multiple interviews. And when I went back and started watching from season one again, all in order, I was like. Oh, they really did. Like, mm. this is not like they wrote the third season later. They it was kind of like you hear the story about how J.K. Rowling wrote the epilogue for Harry Potter before she started writing chapter one. It, it has you realize that. It, like, I can see it. I can totally see it. And they they have a very clear message in there about how women are left out of sports and left out of the conversation. And mm. there's a lot of male characters in that show, but it is very much about equality and some really beautiful things in there especially in season three like there's some powerful moments in there well and the characters all go through these really profound evolutions and they finally hit the Mm -hmm. apex in season three and they're just really gorgeous turning point moments in there and so i think we're gonna have a lot of fun doing that season and so i'm like in the middle of processing that and it's taken up a lot of a lot of my brain space at the moment one book to add to your list to kind of look into is called Mr. Magic. And it's a novel, I believe her name is Kirsten White. Okay. Um, but she came out of the Mormon faith and left that left it behind. And let's just say Mr. Magic has some kind of feeling about child television stars who have left behind the show. Oh, and are and are returning for a reunion, and oh. you're just like, it's it's pretty mind blowing. Just oh, I gotta I gotta just, read that. Then. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm about halfway through, and it's it's really phenomenal. She's an amazing writer. Oh, I love that. I love I love new original work. You know what's really good um on TV that's original and it's not derivative. The series Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Have you watched it? I've only seen the first like five minutes before our dog started like barking up a storm. So <laughs> I haven't, so I haven't watched intense. it yet. It's so fucking intense. <laughs> Anybody who was like, I can't watch the last of us. I'm like, you definitely shouldn't watch yellow jackets, <laughs> but it's so it's original and like, there's something happening in the background. That's a little mystical, mm. a little metaphysical, not quite supernatural. You're not quite sure, but the acting's phenomenal. The premise of the story is brutal and like, oh my God, like it's, it's incredible. You're, you're on your seat the mm-hmm. entire time. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really amazing. That also has been blowing my mind, but it's not like they wrap their season. It's not currently on. So <laughs> <laughs> just throw it in there. Let's just pretend like it's happening right now. <laughs> Perfect. Well, the last thing I want to say, Mary, is thank you. Thank you for being who you are and showing up the way you do. 
my wife loves the name of your business. Every time I say Mary was sensible woo, she's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that name. Oh, it, it just, it just makes her want to have fun and to just, you know, be as badass as you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm loving the evolution that's happening right now. Doing the podcast has reminded me how much I missed media production and that I still belong in the media world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've got, I've got big ideas and big plans as you know, <laughs> and I'm working on them. But yeah. um, I think doing the podcast has been such a cathartic project for the year. And I'm just so glad that I have you to help me. <laughs> I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> well, you, you make me a better podcaster as well, because you, one of the things that you have done is to really raise that question in my mind of just like, what is the path that's unfollowed in this conversation? Or what is something that can be unearthed without it being just a, you know, seven tips for a more effective business? <laughs> <laughs> Should be so much more interesting than that. <laughs> I just put myself to sleep making that title up. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's it's very validating to like very quickly have gotten that support and like you got like you understood the assignment from the moment we got together. And it's been a ride this year. I'm I'm excited to do the next part. As you can tell, Mary is super passionate and endlessly curious about so many topics. If you resonated with what she shared in this conversation and you need a reading for your business, or you want to learn more about implementing new systems, head to sensiblewoo.com to learn more about how Mary can help you. You should also check out her podcast. It is pretty awesome. Of course, I'm biased since I do help her with the show, but it really is insightful into the conversations that they're having through analogous thinking and watching The Last of Us, which I haven't seen, but now I really want to see it because of her podcast. Until next time, may creativity, curiosity, and woo fuel your life.